right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in anxiety and OCD and all those things that I just just previously mentioned. Thank you all for joining me for this episode, um, everybody. Uh, for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast. So you, if you have a question, you the listener, for me, a question to be asked to me. Anyways, you can ask me a question about OCD and anxiety. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. And if you have a question about OCD and anxiety, the diagnosis of them, the treatment of them, issues related to it, how to work with it. Um, you can go over to Fearcast Podcast and go to the submit a question link there, and you can um, you can message me. I will read it, I will consider it, and I will likely put it up on a future episode. So I have a bunch of fantastic questions for this episode, uh, just as I do for all the other episodes. And uh, I just want to thank everybody out there for listening. Thank you all so much for submitting questions or considering sending a question in. You are the reason that we do this podcast. You're the reason that I do this podcast, I suppose. And um, I will just keep doing them until I stop getting questions, but I keep getting questions. So I'm going to keep doing them. So it's exciting for me. Anyhow. Um, everybody, please remember that uh, if you get a chance, if you like the show, you can go over to um, wherever else that you get your download or listen to your podcasts and uh, write a review. Give me a star, a thumbs up, a like, whatever it is on that format. Um, you can even go over to uh, whatever those formats are and write a review. Um, again, I don't do any advertising for this. I don't try to, I, I don't really let anybody else know about this other than iTunes and those things. And also, I put some stuff up on Instagram from time to time, which to that effect. On Instagram, I am Fearcast podcast so you can go over and and uh, follow or uh, believe it's follow follow me over there um, I'll post things from time to time I'll post new episodes I'll post some other things and um, uh, check it out over there but um, feel free to follow subscribe like write a review all of it all of it serves to just help other people to find it and uh, hopefully uh, it can help other people uh, get a little bit of help a little bit of guidance a little bit of support um, during some really hard times in life like this so I hope everybody's doing well. Um, man, I'll tell you, these past couple of weeks, 2021 has been quite the year, hasn't it? Um, so I'm an American, maybe you can tell. And man, we've gone through a lot all of a sudden. Remember when 2020 was a thing and or and now all of a sudden 2021 is just really trying to um, give 2020 a run for its money? I'm over it. I'm over it already. And we're, we're like three weeks in. This isn't good, everybody. But we're going to make it through. So I previously mentioned on one of the other episodes that uh, um, I'm not really big on New Year's resolutions. Um, I, I, I feel like they're... They're kind of a bummer sometimes because you try to do them and then you fall off the wagon and then you don't want to keep getting back on the wagon to keep doing it. And then, you know, December rolls around eventually and you go, man, I was supposed to do that thing. It's just a bummer and I don't really want to do it. I've decided I'm going to do a number of things this year and I'm going to give it the old college try. Rather than going through my pattern of just uh, defiantly not doing them, I'm going to defiantly do one. So I mentioned before that I'm going to learn how to ride a, ride a unicycle. And you know what? Darn it, I'm going to. I have ordered a helmet. I've ordered a new tire for this unicycle, and I'm going to give it a try. So why am I telling all of you something that is probably really embarrassing? Uh, the, the riding a unicycle is probably embarrassing. Um, I'm telling you all for accountability. I'm telling you all because you know what? If you don't tell anybody, if you don't announce it to other people and say, hey, this is the thing that I'm going to try to do, sometimes we just don't do it. 
Sometimes we find a reason to go, man, you know what? No one's going to hold me to account. No one's going to ask. Um, no one's going to care. So I'm not even going to care. Why would I even try? And then we just give up. And then we just don't do it. Even if it's something that we want to do. Even if it's something like, I'm going to do my exposures. Even if it's something like, I'm going to try to get healthier. Even if it's like, I'm going to try to work out. I'm going to try to do more of something, less of something. If we, if we don't really tell anybody and have other people encourage us and support us and tell us that uh, that we're doing a great job or tell us that we're doing a job, whatever it is, sometimes we just find a reason to not do it. So I am not going to let that happen for me. So um, why am I doing this, everybody? Why am I telling you about it? You know, my dad had a unicycle. He, well, had it because he's given it to me now. He bought it somewhere in the 70s. It is a super old, super heavy unicycle. I don't even know if it's any good. I don't know if it's a death trap. All I know is when ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to learn how to ride this dumb thing. So I'm going to try to do it. Is it going to help me in any way in my life? No, probably not. Is it going to be a huge pain in the butt? Yes. Is it really lame? Kind of? Would I make fun of me for riding a unicycle? Absolutely. And I'm going to a lot. And I hope all of you out there will make fun of me for it because it's kind of lame. But you know what? Regardless of that, it's something that I want to do. It's something that's exciting. And you know what? I'm excited to do lame things. I hope that you all out there are excited to do, quote, lame things. Um, now, I'm saying in, in quotes because there are some things out there that we will label as lame. We'll call them dumb, all those things. But you know what? We are excited about it. And gosh darn it, I'm excited about this. What are you excited about out there? What are you excited about that you're maybe ashamed that other people... Uh, what are you ashamed of that you like that you're afraid that other people will find out that you don't want to do, that you've been putting off, that you kind of hide from other people? What would it be like this year for you to own it? For you to say, yeah, that's a thing. I like that. I'm into it. It's super fun. I don't mind it. Whatever the verbiage is, but to own it, to take, to take it on as part of who you are without trying to hide you. Now, I know I'm making this a very broader, bigger, more grand thing that it really needs to be because, again, I'm talking about a unicycle, right? But it's more than a unicycle, gosh darn it. It's symbolic. Uh, all right, that got a little too much. But I'm going to do this, everybody. I'm going to be bringing you updates. I'm probably going to be putting videos up on Instagram of my failing terribly on it and looking like a big goober, goon, whatever you want to call it, um, looking not looking not cool by doing it. But you know what? Let's be honest, everybody. None of you thought I was cool. Not even a little bit. And that's fine. I'm fine with that, right? I'm mostly fine with that. Anyways, all right, that's enough yammering, everybody. But I'm going to be giving you updates, and I'm challenging all of you to do something that you've been putting off, to do something that you've been afraid of doing. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this episode in various different ways. But without further ado, here are the questions. This first question comes from Mary. Mary says, My therapist of two years is moving on. How can I find closure with this? I consider myself in recovery and I've been seeing him on a maintenance level. I'm experiencing lots of grief and my OCD symptoms are ramping up with ruminations surrounding all my scariest themes. She says parenthetically, harm, relationships, pedophilia, etc. She goes on to say, There are no other CBT therapists in my area. Any suggestions? Thank you. 
Mary, thank you so much for sending this in. And that's such a great thing that you are you're considering yourself in 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 kind of maintenance level in recovery sections, right? That's so that that is something to celebrate. So I just want to high five you from a distance that you've probably put in a ton of work and have gotten to a a, a better place. Now, what you're also talking about when when there is a when when termination inevitably happens with therapists, and, and I use the word termination because that's the fancy term that us therapists use when we are ending therapy. It is the termination of it. It is the end of therapy. I think it's a harsh term. I think it's too intense. It's too terminal. I don't know. Anyways, you get the idea. It's a, it's a lot of word that does not need to be used. But sometimes at the end of therapy, some symptoms can come back. There's something comforting about having the safety net of seeing your therapist next week. Even if you see your therapist like once a month, a lot of my clients will say, it's nice just to know that I'll see you in three weeks. And that no matter what's crazy has happened, they go, all right, I can kind of put this off. We'll talk about it in a month with Kevin. It'll be great or it'll be fine, or whatever verbiage, right? So what you're experiencing is something that does happen. You're not alone in that. Additionally, experiencing a lot of grief during this phase is also incredibly understandable. You said this has been your therapist for two years, and this has been your therapist that it sounds like you've made a lot of progress with. You're ending a two-year relationship. If you think about it as you're you're almost ending a two-year friendship. If you end a two-year relationship with anybody, it's going to be hard. And not just, and this is something that's, this is a relationship that's a little bit different. This is something where you've shared very intimate things about yourself. You've talked about a lot of difficult things. You've done a lot of difficult things with this person. They've been with you along that journey. This is going to be hard and it's understandable. In, in the process of this, I would encourage you to sit down and chat with them about these feelings that I hope that you are. I hope this therapist is having a lot of conversations. And sometimes with termination sessions, there can be more than one session to talk about and to process the end of this relationship. And also to acknowledge that it's going to be hard for you. But I also want to remind you that that though these these um, kind of scariest themes are, are kicking back up again, and, and that may be because you're experiencing uncertainty, you're experiencing this like lack of grounding, the grounding that was brought by the therapist in the work that you have together, it can kick up that uncertainty, right? And what have you been talking about with your therapist? Uncertainty about harm, relationships, pedophilia, etc. So it's understandable that there's been this connection that your brain has made between uncertainty and these themes. So it's very common to have them, but remember, you've made a ton of progress, so go back and do all the things that you previously did during the, the active phase of treatment. What did you do that worked? So specifically, I would say at this point, doing a lot of mindful acceptance. Yep, there's that thought again, but I don't need to do my compulsions about it. I don't need to think about it, research it, uh, wash, check, avoid, whatever the thing is for you. But go back and do all the things that previously worked and keep and just keep staying on or get back on the rails. And they say there are no other CBT therapists in your area. That's totally fine. One, you can consider doing teletherapy. That's something that we're all doing in the pandemic, but who knows who's listening to this at some point in the future when the pandemic is not a thing anymore and we're meeting in person. Anyways, 
finding someone online can be an incredibly helpful process or can be incredibly helpful uh, medium to do therapy, um, which also can certainly help wherever you are. There's probably someone licensed in your state um, somewhere that can work with you just to keep this maintenance phase going. Another thing to consider is uh, just maintaining the progress that you're doing and talking with your th- or by talking with your therapist about a, a, a weekly, a monthly, and then a semi-yearly exposure schedule that you can do for yourself. And to that end, one of the things that is important about therapy is learning to be your own therapist. I often say to everybody, nobody wants to be in therapy forever, and my job is to put myself out of a job. It's to be able to make you, my client, if you were my client, um, to be your own therapist. So you don't have to talk to me forever. You don't have to talk to someone like me forever. So it's instead to think about What were all the things that were helpful about your therapeutic relationship? Was it just the tools? Because you know how to do them. Was it having someone that you can talk to that kind of knows the language and knows the world of OCD? Well, there are other people out there who can serve that for you. There are support groups where you can have that. They might have a friend who you can talk to about these symptoms. Now, certainly we don't need to make your friend your new therapist, But the idea is being able to have somebody that you can talk to about all these things where they're going to go, oh my gosh, that's super weird. But they're going to go, yeah, I've heard of that. I get that. So maybe finding someone through uh, one of the uh, various Facebook groups, uh, Facebook OCD groups, finding someone through the Reddit OCD groups, through one of the various groups that are out there that you can use as a support, as a friend, in a sense. My last suggestion would be is to get back to your life. Isn't that why you got into therapy in the first place? So it's to think about what are the things that you want to do in life? What were the things that you wanted to do that OCD was stopping you from doing? That re- that the whole reason that you got into therapy in the first place is to try to shift your attention and to really dive into those things as best you can. Though That is the life that you wanted to be living. That was why you did therapy in the first place. So shifting your attention towards those things while continuing to maintain the progress that you have, you have done, you have made, um, continuing to resist compulsive behavior, compulsive rumination, internal and external compulsions, obviously, but is to say, you know what, I'm going to go do those things now and I'm going to try my best to, to live my life. Is that pursuing hobbies? Is that pursuing relationships? Is that going back to school? Is that finishing school? Is that fill in the blank, right? Trying to do that and making that your focus as best you can. Taking on new hobbies even. Those would be my suggestions of things that can help you get going. But I appreciate you uh, you sending me this message. And um, I know it has been some time since you sent me this question. If you'd be able to send me another email, go over to fearcastpodcast.com uh, and, and uh, go back to the submit a, uh, question link. Send me a message and let me know how you're doing. I would love to post a follow-up uh, to listeners. And uh, I would just love to know what you did in this process, what you found to be helpful, what were some snags, and maybe that can be a good follow-up question in the future. So thank you so much, Mary, and best of luck. This next question comes from Worried B. They say, Hi, I have been diagnosed with gay OCD slash HOCD. However, I feel like my situation is unique. I'm able to get strongly aroused by gay pornography, although watching it gives me a lot of fear and anxiety. Does the type of porn that arouses you determine your sexuality? This is my main struggle with my OCD. 
All right, Worried B, thank you so much. And you're right, this is a, a, a little bit complicated. So for some questions, I'm going to go and do a little bit of research on, try to find some statistics and things like that. So uh, in my research, I found a, a, a study that they did on the porn habits of people. And this was a, a research uh, uh, or a bit of research that was done with uh, 200 or 821 gay, straight, and bisexual participants. I do not know what the breakdown was of that. I do not know where they came up with these numbers or came up with these individuals. But, but what the study showed, which I think was pretty interesting, is that there were a large number of straight-identified men who also reportedly watched gay porn. So in this article, 21% of straight men in the study acknowledged watching gay porn in the last six months. Additionally, the same study found that 55% of self-identified gay men reported watching straight porn. So... There are a lot of things that we can pull from this um, and a lot of things that they, they did extrapolate from this data. But one takeaway from this study is that men's porn habit were far more eclectic than previously anticipated. So to that end, no, porn habits do not determine your sexuality. Now, don't hear that as reassurance because ultimately I'm not here to confirm what your sexuality is. All I'm here is to point that fact out. So, you say that you're diagnosed with HOCD. You're making it evident that you're judging yourself for your porn habits, and you're ruminating about what that then means. Because the reality is, as you said, you are watching this. You also said you are super into it. You are also saying that you are super anxious by it. Lastly, most HOCD folks, most people experiencing HOCD, identify as straight, but they fear they may be gay for one reason or another. Now, all of this, again, is further complicated, right? So I'm curious about what you would consider the compulsions. Because is it that you're watching gay porn for the validation that you enjoy it? Are you watching other porn to check that you're turned on by that? So are you watching strictly straight porn? Are you watching lesbian porn? Are you watching fill-in-the-blank porn to see if you actually like that? So are you watching gay porn to say, okay, see, I'm, I, I'm only turned on by this. Or see, I'm, I'm watching a whole bunch of other things and I'm turned on by all of that. So it can't mean that I'm just gay. It must mean these other things. But the reality is I am turned on by this. So, so what does that mean? You can see where this starts to go down the rabbit hole of, of, compulsive, of compulsions and checking. My main question for you is going to be, what are you afraid that this says about you? Are you afraid that it means that everything in your life is going to have to change? Are you worried that you're with the wrong partner? Are you worried that, oh no, maybe you're going to be missing out on a, on a fantastic relationship with a man down the line or with a woman? Are you, in other words, are you ruminating about your happiness somewhere in the future? Are you worried that deep down you're gay and that you're going to go to hell for it? That you can't, or that you're, you can't just lock down your sexuality into a nice, neat box and will therefore never be happy, certain, and satisfied? Now, I threw out a bunch of questions at you, but it's helpful to think about, well, what, is, what does this fact about your behavior mean? I mean, tentatively, I want to say, so What? So what that you're watching gay porn, if that's something that doesn't conflict with religious or spiritual or social or whatever norms or, or beliefs that you hold or would like to be holding, it's that 
this might be something that you enjoy. A lot of people out there judge themselves for the various things that they are into sexually. And they draw all these conclusions about themselves um, and say, well, because I'm into this, well, here's all this other stuff that must be true. Or because I'm because I'm into this, this thing doesn't fit within the, what I call the straight box. You know, think, think about it as like there are two buckets, right? The straight bucket and the gay bucket. Well, the things that I'm into, well, I, a straight person must be into all the straight bucket things and a gay person obviously is in all the gay bucket stuff. But guess what? Sometimes you're into stuff that's in the other bucket. Well, what does that mean? What it means is that there's not a black and white nature to this and that it ultimately, the buckets are a lie. I think you're falling victim to the bucket lie and we need to throw the buckets out. There's the spectrum and it's also not important to figure out exactly what spectrum or where on the spectrum that you are, but, is, but instead to simply say, this is what I'm into. Now, the question then is, yes, you can acknowledge that you're into something, but we also don't have to give in and do it, right? So again, there are a lot of people who might be into watching gay pornography who are self-identified as straight, but they choose not to watch it because it goes against a value or belief or whatever, right? There are a lot of things that we do. There are people who love cheeseburgers who choose to not eat cheeseburgers because of a moral and ethical uh, desire to not kill animals, right? Now, this is obviously not the same, and that's a it's a, it's a stretched example, but you get the idea. What I encourage you to consider is, can I accept myself for this reality that I'm into this, but also to cut out th- behaviors, thoughts and behaviors that are compulsive, that are trying to get me to certainty about my sexuality? Your question, does this type of porn that arouses me determine my sexuality? Well, no, not necessarily, right? Because there are a lot of things that are out there. There are a lot of things that perhaps turn you on. And there are a lot of things that make up somebody's sexuality. It is not these individual things that are the problem. It is the rumination about those things that is the problem with OCD. If the rumination doesn't exist, then it's not OCD, right? It's just simply a fact about you. You are into this, whatever the this is. And this is just outside of gay, gay OCD, straight or straight, excuse me, gay OCD, HOCD, sexual orientation OCD, straight OCD, whatever verbiage you want to call on this, is that there's a reality about yourself and then there's this worry. So we're trying to cut out the active participation in the worry. So I'd encourage you to sit with that and notice what you're doing is that that is a have to. I have to do X. I have to watch this. I have to not watch this. I have to watch this other thing. I have to remind myself of this. I have to hold this feeling. Those are all obligations. The have-tos are compulsions. If you're finding yourself doing that, think about what are you going to risk if you don't do that thing? And then sit with the possibility that that thing might be true. It doesn't mean that it is, but we're sitting with and accepting and tolerating that feeling. So, worried B, I hope this answers your question. I answered a lot more than perhaps your question uh, called for, but that's kind of what I do. So, um, again, worried B, thank you so much for that question. All right, so this next question comes from Joe. Joe says, My question surrounds panic due to feeling sick. 
I have a fear of feeling sick, not necessarily getting sick, although I certainly wouldn't enjoy the process. He says, every time I feel ill from a stomach ache, eating too much, etc., I have a panic attack. This fear slash phobia began in 2018 after I had a stomach bug and was vomiting for the night. As I got sick, I was flooded with negative emotions and the feeling of guilt and shame. I had to confess all my known wrongdoings to my mother in between vomiting, says I also suffer from moral scrupulosity OCD, which seems to flare up when I feel sick. Have you got any tips for dealing with these issues? Any words of advice would greatly be appreciated. Thank you. All right, Joe, we're going to start with the advice. First off, thank you again for sending this in. So here's the advice. You're going to have to start progressively eating too much and then allowing for those unwanted feelings of shame and guilt to flow in while resisting compulsive confession or rumination about what you did wrong. You're going to need to allow for those feelings to be present and to accept that you feel the way that you feel, and that's just okay. Hope that makes sense. I'm going to go into this a little bit further, I suppose, but you're going to have to eat a little bit too much and just know that, yeah, I feel these feelings. They come in and they feel really weird. All right, so let's go into the explanation of it. So vomiting can produce what's called one-trial learning, meaning that you learn through a one-time experience that something is bad or dangerous. So this makes sense. If you're eating something bad, you throw up, then you have a strong aversion to that food because your body told you that it's bad for you. This is an incredibly adaptive thing that our brain has developed and our body has developed, um, and it has helped keep your ancestors alive. It killed some people probably, but it has kept a lot of people alive. The, not that this function didn't kill the people, the bad food that may have, you get the idea, maybe. Anyways, so, my, so I'm wondering that if in part what happened, so I'm wondering about if in part that's kind of what happened here. So you ate something, you felt bad, you threw up, and then your body created this connection between the physical sensation and that sense of something is bad. Now, combining this with your moral scrupulosity could produce that result. Now, this is, this is, in a sense, speculation, because I'm not psychic, and you and I haven't talked, and, you know, who knows, right? But that could be something that's related to. You need to acknowledge that you have moral scrupulosity, which is going to speak to that sense of that sense of guilt, that sense of shame. Did I do something wrong? Did I, am I something wrong, right? So, that's where those compulsions are coming in. So, to that point, I want you to first consider what you did wrong that required confession. So I'm hearing a great deal of that magical thinking between kind of perceived shortcomings or kind of the magical failings and throwing up and then the need to confess to alleviate that feeling. So is what you think you did wrong actually wrong? What's the typical way to rectify this? So every every problem or every infraction has a resolution. It has a thing that we can do to make it right. There's an atonement step to it. So what's the normal way that this happens? Have you done that? Is there a need to do that? That atonement act, did, did, you, do actually, did you do the inciting behavior or thought or action or whatever it is? Or is your OCD overblowing it or manufacturing it? Another thing to think about is that is that stomachache feeling similar to that feeling of guilt? So think about this. So just because you feel a stomachache doesn't mean that you're then guilty of some wrongdoing. Because, you know, sometimes when we feel bad, we get that like 
pit in the stomach feeling. We get the stomach drops. I call them the stomach drops. I don't know what you call them, but that, that feeling of like, like that stomach is falling out of our body, that awful feeling. Um, they're kind of the same, at least in part, right? So maybe a stomachache is a little bit more ongoing, um, but there is part of getting a legitimate stomachache that kind of can feel like that stomach drop feeling. I wonder if your brain just kind of rounded those up. But either way, looking at challenging the legitimacy of that feeling, was that feeling the exact always same constant consistent feeling you get when you do when you're feeling guilty and shame because you've done something wrong? Or what is it what you're feeling is something related to a stomachache? What's more likely here? So again, going back to that, though, is your job here is to practice being with that feeling. Because again, what's wrong with that feeling? I mean, other than it feels bad, because it does feel bad, but other than the, it feeling bad, that feeling just feels bad. It's nothing. It's just a feeling that you can have, and it's the feeling of being full or having a stomachache. Either one, it's not dangerous, nor is it indicative that you are guilty of anything. I mean, it may be guilty that you've you know eaten too much, you've eaten something weird, um, but but ultimately it's just a feeling, right? So here's what I want you to do, though. So next time you feel full, here's the things that I want you to practice. So number one, I want you to observe and describe that feeling that you're having in an objective way. Just describe it. Now that means stripping it away from the qualitative, judgmental things, right? Not saying, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is awful. Oh, this is, um, you know, I have to do something. I have to do something about this. Right? I mean, all those are speculation, all those are subjective. But what does it feel like? I feel this pain here. I feel a tightness here. It feels like it's pushing out. I feel very bloated. Right? All those would be objectively describing it. So secondly, I, I want you to keep your attention on that feeling without judging it or yourself. Notice how it moves, and shifts, and changes, or just simply exists in your body. It is there. And that's okay. We're just getting used to, this is a feeling, I can have this feeling because as we have previously challenged the, the legitimacy of that connection between the, whether I did actually something bad and we've stripped that away, hopefully we've said, hopefully you have gotten to the point where you can say, all right, the feeling is a feeling. I didn't actually do anything bad, so therefore this feeling is nonsense, right? So instead we're saying, this feeling just requires me to be with the feeling and not to confess. Now, number three is I want you to resist then analyzing why you feel this way. In other words, what does it mean? Instead, intensely observe it. It's kind of like a fun science project, right? And you're trying to write a report on it. So you have to pay attention to it in an objective fashion, not judgmental, but just, yep, that feeling is there. It sucks, but it's there. And lastly, continue to breathe in a smooth and consistent manner. When we get anxious, we hold our breath. Or when we get anxious, we kind of we think we breathe like this in a panic. Slow ourselves down. Now that's one thing you can do. That collection of stuff I just mentioned. So additionally, I want you to practice eating just a little too much. Not like bonkers all the time, but like just a, a bite more than you normally would. And then practice watching TV, driving having conversations with friends, reading a book, basically anything else that gets your attention off your stomach, right? I know the first exercise is to, you might be saying, Kevin, you just told me to pay attention to my stomach and now you're telling me to stop paying attention to my stomach. These are two different exercises here. The one is just to recognize that the feeling you have is not a problem. It's uncomfortable, but uncomfortable is not bad. It's just uncomfortable, right? 
So the second is to practice treating it as if it's not a problem. Because if things that aren't a problem, we don't pay attention to them, right? If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. So that's what these two things are there to help to do. Now, continue to practice this and to learn if you can tolerate that feeling and also noticing that that feeling will pass no matter what you confess. Now, to that point, whenever you feel this feeling, I want you to commit to not confessing, not confessing your wrongdoings, because I don't know any, any religious or moral system that says, well, stomach aches equal you've done something bad. I mean, I suppose there's magical thinking to some some religions or, or things like that, that, you know, you you have this experience, so it's indicative that you've done something wrong. I, I don't know, that sounds very medieval, right? Like your house burned down because there's sin in your family. I don't know, stuff like that. It, it, it doesn't sound very reasonable, um, but I wouldn't put that past um, our, our, our anxious brain, right? Right. Committing to not... So getting back to that, committing to withholding your confession until at the very least that feeling and the urgency passes. Now, if the feeling and the urgency passes, meaning you don't feel that urge, like I've got to, I have to, the, the, the posh, you know what that feeling is. If that feeling is still there after the stomach ache goes away, after the anxiety goes away, and you still have this like this convicted urge to then tell someone. Well, then I suppose you can. However, I would process the, the need to or should or can with somebody who understands your moral or ethical system and to chat with them to see if that moral or ethical system is consistent with the average person or if it is way overblown by you and your anxiety. My anticipation is it's way overblown by your, by your anxiety. Ultimately speaking, even if it's still there, that urge to then confess is still there after the stomach feeling goes away, practice at least for a period of time not telling anybody, not confessing to anyone, and sitting with that feeling and saying, I don't need to confess. Now, that doesn't mean it's a forever thing, but that would be something to process with a therapist who knows you, who knows your process, who knows your system. Um, and hopefully they, that therapist understands OCD, which I suppose that understands the process. You get the idea. It's processing that out with them to know when the right time to, to introduce that again will be helpful. But for a period of time, resist and sit with that anxiety. That feeling will go away. The urgency will go away because it always does, right? And sometimes we're going to eat too much and we need to get used to that reality. So... That's my task for you. That's my assignment for you. So, Joe, um, take it with a grain of salt. If you are working with a therapist and what I've said goes completely against what your therapist said, don't do it. Talk to them about it. I suppose that's to be said for everybody here. Everybody, if I say something here that just goes against what your therapist is saying, talk to them about it, okay? They're your therapist, not me. I'm just dude in a podcast giving advice and giving guidance so joe that was my side note best of luck and thank you for this comment all right so this last question comes from april april says is it common for ocd to answer oneself in your mind 
I have what I believe to be scrupulosity, and a main affliction within that is blasphemous, intrusive thoughts. When something bad happens, or OCD forces me to do a compulsion, I'm fed up with them and I think something terrible about God, but it feels so real as if the anger that I'm feeling is indeed coming from me. It happens frequently and throughout the day, and after it happens, I feel compelled to pray about it. The logical side of me realizes this never happened until I was driven by OCD. But on the other hand, my brain tells me that it must be because of my own response to the situation. Is this what is known as thought-action fusion? I have a very hard time discerning what is really me and what is OCD. Both thought processes feel like my own. All right, so first off, April, uh, thank you. Secondly, is that we, we, when it comes to OCD, we want to be using our logical side of our brain as much as we can. Now, you've heard me dis discern these two before. We have this logical side of our brain, and we have this very fear-based side of our brain, okay? OCD lives on the fear-based side, right, which is lacking logic, lacking reason, but it, it does have that emotional side, that feeling side, right? In, the, the, the problem with logic is that it is devoid of feeling, right? It is just a fact. Now, feeling oftentimes wins over logic, but what we are trying to do here is to rip our attention, pull it, pull it back and pull it over to our logical side. So when your logical side says it's not of your doing, and instead it's OCD related, try trusting that. Practice as if that were true. If that were true, how would that how would how would your response be different, right? If that thought that it's not of your doing and it was just OCD loop related were a fact, we could prove it scientifically. Would you do any compulsions about it? Would you pray about it? Probably not. So, practice trusting that. Now, on a small point, I want to say your OCD never forces you to do a compulsion. Okay, you do the compulsion because you are always in control of your actions. Right? We do a compulsion because we feel uncomfortable, we feel scared, we feel uncomfortable, or we feel uncertain. Right, So you do that compulsion to try to get yourself to feel that way again. But you always choose to do it. You can also therefore choose to not do it. Now, which brings me to the you part of you. So yes, you did yell at God. And yes, you were angry. And yes, that anger... And that yelling did come from you as part of your own response to that situation. But it also is, at the same time, not you. The you part of you doesn't want to do it, but you also did it. You had a thought, but it's also not you. All right, this is probably confusing, right? Because I'm saying you a lot. But we need to separate out these yous, okay? There is a you, a, a, a deep, core, factual you. Now... That you is values-based. It's your core self. It's your consciousness that observes what, you're, observes what you're thinking, observes what you're feeling, observes your general experiences. That thought you have, while within you, it isn't you. While you notice that thought, it's not you. There's a, this is the difference between an egocentonic and an egodystonic thought. A thought that comes from us, that is related to us, is an egocentonic thought meaning it is consistent with who we are, what we value, what we want generally in life. An egodystonic thought is something that is not, right? An egocentonic thought for me would be, hey, I want to go have sushi tonight, right? I like sushi. It's delicious. I might eat it tonight. We'll see. An egodystonic thought would be, I'm going to go eat my dog's foot tonight. That's weird. 
why would I want that? That's gross. My dog is gross. Um, it's also, I would have to chop the foot off my dog. I don't really want to do that. That's not like high on the priority list. That is That goes against what I want. Now, this is a weird example, right? But for you, an egodystonic thought is cursing or yelling or expressing anger towards God. It's it, Yes, you had that. It is a thought that you had, but it goes against your values. So we call that an egodystonic thought. It's not in, in, in symphony, syntonic, right? It is dystonic. It is against. Now, it's against you. OCD thoughts are egodystonic thoughts by definition. So back to the you part of you. We need to separate these the, the you that is truly core you, that is your values and desires and wants and stuff, and also the thoughts that we have, the thoughts and feelings that we have. Oftentimes they aren't us. Sometimes they're us, but not every one of them is. So you can observe it and you can have a thought in your head, but it doesn't mean it's from the core you. All right, that might have just gotten more confusing, but so let's just get back on track. Um, I want you to give yourself permission to be angry. These thoughts that you're having are annoying. They're maddening. They're defeating. They're sad. And they're aggravating. And you have every stinking right to be mad at them or to be mad in general. But be mad at the thought, not you. Be mad at the presence of it, not you. They're different. So regarding those thoughts, that from an act perspective, is that I want you to allow them to be there as they are, when they are, and for as long as they are, because they are there. You might have an angry thought towards God. You might have a thought that goes really against you. You said those blasphemous thoughts. Okay, that's there. We're going to let it be there. We're not going to fight it. We're not going to convince ourselves it's not there, because that would be a lie. It is there. But we can also say, it's enough for me. It's just there. It's my silly example of the supermarket, right? There's food, there's a bunch of food in the supermarket. Some of the food ain't for us. It's gross. There's some gross foods they stock in a supermarket. There's not for us, and that's okay. We also don't need to like be mad at the store for stocking it. We don't need to rip it off the shelf, or we don't need to pretend like it's not there, because all that's crazy stuff, right? But we walk by that gross food, and we go, ugh, that's a gross food. And we keep on walking. We're not going to waste our time by yelling at the food or yelling at the store manager for stocking it. We're going to keep going to the food that we do like. My, my task for you then, or my encouragement for you, is instead to pay more attention to the thoughts that, or the thoughts, the thoughts, the food that are you, the ones you do like, but to accept that sometimes you're going to notice some food, some thoughts, food for thoughts. Anyways, you're going to notice some stuff that's not you, and that's okay. So your attention on that will eventually subside. It will shift to over towards stuff that you do like when you let yourself, right? If there's a food in the supermarket you hated and you stopped to stare at it and you only stared at it and then you got mad for staring at it, well, why are you staring at it? So I know this isn't, this isn't just me saying, well, stop thinking about it because obviously you just said than done, right? But you know what? If you saw that gross food in the supermarket and you kept going towards the food that you do like, eventually, if you turned your thoughts and your behaviors towards the food that you do like, your attention is going to be less and less and less on that gross, weird food to the point where at some point you're going to forget about it in due time. That's what we're doing. Now, this is for, now all that was from an act perspective, now, an act perspective for someone with, with religious group can be really helpful. 
Because a lot of folks who are, who are religious, they don't want to intentionally have a blasphemous thought, right? So when it comes to ERP, I'm not necessarily going to advise you to intentionally go have blasphemous thoughts. Now, those are great things you can have. You can you can think intentionally kind of dirty, angry thoughts. You think the F word in church, that might be helpful. Um, but but I'd, I'd work that out with a therapist and kind of talk about what it seems to be syntonic with you, what seems to be consistent with you, um, and what seems to be a value to you, and then see what you'd be willing to do. Not everyone is going to be willing to do exposures, intentional, active exposures toward the things that, that are, are distasteful to them, and that's, that's okay. You can still make a ton of progress if you allow yourself to instead just know that that thought's going to be there sometime, and sometimes your brain is going to curse at God or is going to be angry at God, and sometimes you're going to be angry, and you're going to be angry at God. That's okay. But we don't need to judge ourselves or beat ourselves up about it. In fact, all the judging and beating yourself up is really just wasting more time ruminating on the things you don't like and is not giving you permission to go do the things you do like or do value even. Now, to that point, most importantly, what I don't want you to do is to pray about this. So do not pray in apologizing to God about the cursing or about the anger or about whatever you're doing against God or that you're viewing against God. Instead, allow the thought intentionally, if you're willing to, allow the thought, if you're willing to, through ERP, intentionally have the thought, but then to move on without the prayer, without apologizing, without crossing yourself, without lighting a candle, without nailing a piece of paper to a, 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 with your perceived sins on it, and nailing it to a cross, whatever it is that you're doing. I also realized that I'm, I'm reading all of this, and I just had to review back on the, into your question and realized there was nothing there that specifically said that you were Christian or Christian adjacent, but um, that is my, perhaps my bias, because I think 100% of the questions that I've gotten from religious group folks have been Christian. So if you are not a Christian or Christian adjacent, I apologize, um, and I will try to do better next time. But um, I'm going to take my chances on this and assume that you are. Anyways. But getting back to it is I want you to let the thought be there and then to move on and treat it as if it's not you. Like you would let that gross food in the supermarket be there and you would just walk by and let someone else buy it if that's for them. Move past this thought and get on back to your life. So, April, I hope that helped. Hope that makes sense. Thank you so much for that question. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. Um, everybody, you know, I mentioned it in that uh, in that previous question, but I also don't say this enough, is that, you know what, I might say something on this podcast that goes completely against what your therapist or treating physician is telling you to do. If that is the case, what I want you to do is instead of assuming that I'm right and assuming that your therapist is wrong, is that I want you to go talk to your therapist about what you heard me say. What that's going to mean is going and chatting with them about the this approach because you know what my approach might be completely against what your therapist is advising and your advice and your therapist's advice may be incredibly spot on for you and your particular circumstances and struggles my advice here my guidance here is based solely on what i'm reading in the moment and what i'm what, what i'm gathering may be helpful it doesn't mean that it's that it's nailing it every single time but 
talk with your therapist about whether or not the approaches that we're talking about here are going to be beneficial to supplement or to or to add into your treatment. So, um, and if you have any questions about the, the, the techniques that I'm doing or uh, advising or talking about or educating on, again, talk to your therapist. Um, to that point, if you're looking for advice or guidance on how to get started with a the therapist, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go over to the Find Help link. There's going to be some stuff there that might uh, help uh, point you in the right direction. Please remember, everybody, that um, the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have a question, by the way, for a future episode and you would like me to answer it here on this podcast, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to submit a question link, and uh, you can ask me a question there. And I love these questions. Thank you so much everyone for entrusting me with, uh, with with some of this and being so vulnerable and talking about this. Um, hopefully I can uh, offer some advice or guidance that will be helpful, beneficial to help move you just even a, an inch forward. So I, I'm, I, uh, it may sound cheesy. I'm truly honored to be part of your process. All right, everybody, enough cheesiness and corniness for one day. Until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.